Remember the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 that made you wish that phone books were still a thing? Now even baby formulas in short supply. What's next? Trash bags? Toothpaste? Laundry detergent? We have all these items and more at pre-pandemic pricing. Visit Envision.Supply, where every purchase supports those who are blind and visually impaired through employment and rehabilitative services. Wholesale with the heart. That's us, Envision.Supply. Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, we're going to be talking about infection prevention in nursing homes and long-term care facilities because I am joined by an expert in that field. She is one of the nation's foremost authorities when it comes to this issue, and her Phoenix company, IPC Well specializes in infection prevention and long-term care facilities. So, Dr. Buffy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Great. Well, as you mentioned, I work in long-term care and nursing homes. That's, that is my specialty. It, it wasn't always my specialty, but I've, I've pretty much my entire career worked in in healthcare and public health in various roles, but most recently and since 2009, I've, I've specialized in epidemiology and infection prevention practices. I was working in a hospital during the H1N1 pandemic, and I saw the devastating effects. This was in 2009. I saw the devastating effects of a virus basically on, on everyday normal healthy people, and I just was fascinated and really dedicated after that to mitigating infections and the spread, especially in our healthcare settings. And then more recently in 2015, started working at a national level and started focusing in 2016 with the nursing home long-term care to reducing their infections and the risk for infections within this healthcare system. So what made you want to put your main focus now on the nursing homes and the long-term care facilities? In 2016, when I was invited to participate and work on a national collaborative with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, and, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, I realized the statistics for the first time that there's one to three million infections occurring every year in this healthcare setting, and that these infections lead to 380,000 deaths every year. And when we break that down into simpler numbers, we're talking over a thousand people dying every day from an infection within this healthcare setting. And this was before the pandemic. And so when I I learned of those statistics, I, I looked around and I said, we're not really doing too much about this in this country. We were really, you know, there had been some research and, and some pioneers in the, in the industry, but I really wanted to do more. And I, as I saw more of the challenges, 
I knew that my, my ambition really couldn't be contained. And that's why I ultimately started my own company and really to make this my number one focus. Well, how has COVID-19 changed the game? I know you said you did this stuff before the pandemic, but with COVID-19 now, what new challenges has that brought? Well, as I had mentioned, the there there wasn't a lot of focus for infection prevention and control prior to the pandemic. As a country, we were starting to get there in the long-term care or the nursing home space. You know, you might think, wow, that was a little late. And, and I agree with you. But there was other priorities that the industry was really heavily focused on, such as reducing falls and antipsychotic use and many other high priority priorities that needed, you know, to, to be focused on. And, and, and it was in 2016 that CMS actually came out with a new federal rule mandating every long-term care facility or that, that is certified through CMS to actually have an infection control program. And then in, it wasn't until 2019, November 28th to be exact, that every facility had to have a part-time infection preventionist working in their building. And I tell you this background because it, it shows that this industry was not prepared for such an event that transpired with COVID. And so we were ramping up. We were starting really to, to really take infections more seriously And I like to say we were pretty much thrown in the deep end or the industry was thrown in the deep end, ready or not, it was here. And so what I changed everything, I mean, we could say COVID has really changed our world in every capacity and, and it's no different within our long-term care settings as well. What do you feel like nursing homes can do to kind of empower themselves and and help them out in, in this fight to reduce infections? Right now, we're, we're still very much dealing with this pandemic. I know that in our communities, it looks like everything is, well, everything is open, but it's a different picture in our nursing homes. We're, we're still very much in wearing our surgical masks, sometimes the N95 respirators. If our community spread is still high, we're wearing PPE. We're still operating quite heavily with a focus to prevent and and the to prevent covid within our facilities it was just a week ago i was in minnesota and i was in two buildings that had over 20 residents that had covid in their building so it is still something we're we're fighting within this industry and there are so many actual basic infection prevention and control practices that we can implement that not only keep our vulnerable population with the residents safer, but also our healthcare workers. And I like to teach those practices such as basic hand washing and environmental cleaning. I know they seems, you know, it is basic, but these practices go a very long way because to me, it's not just about this pandemic or COVID. It's about preventing all of the other infections that, I discussed that we knew were occurring even prior to the pandemic. What's one of the stories doing what you do that you've heard about that kind of moved you the most to make you want to keep fighting even harder to try to get this issue remedied? Well, when I was, when I was, well, actually when, 
when COVID hit really our country, the first nursing home that it hit was the Kirkland facility, the life care center in Washington. And that was pretty much our ground zero. And then it really started to move in our nursing homes, March of 2020. That's when I first started to experience it. And, and really it was kind of working behind the scenes at that point, but I really felt a call to action to get out in the middle of it. And so from that point in June, 2020, I actually worked with Doctors Without Borders. They had their first U.S.-based mission in Detroit, Michigan, working with the hardest hit nursing homes. And then again in Houston, Texas. And so that really got me out in the front, helping directly with these nursing homes. And to be honest, I haven't really stopped since, but collectively the stories it's, it's literally, I'd hear the same stories, whether I was in Arizona or Texas, Idaho or, or Minnesota, I was hearing the same story over and over again, that the nursing homes weren't prepared. They didn't have the personal protective equipment. They were vilified. They, the, the government response was sending state surveyors to basically find them, provide citations to them for not providing basic care or, uh, or the right care in this unprecedented situation. And, and the burden that this healthcare setting felt was so traumatic that I felt an obligation to actually write these stories in a book and talk about them so that the, the workers, the staff, and that the truth of really what is making it difficult to provide the best care, really bringing that out to the forefront, not only for the public to understand, but also decision makers so that we can start supporting this industry instead of our old ways of this punishment or punitive um, you know, work that we do that to be honest, isn't helping. It's actually hurting, hurting this industry and hurting our loved ones. Speaking of your book, tell listeners about your book. You know, tell us what we can expect when we read it and how we can purchase it. Well, like I said, I I wrote this book. I didn't plan on it. And some people ask me where I found the time. To be honest, I wrote the book, like I said, out of more of an obligation to the industry. I felt you know, I didn't think it was a coincidence that I was, I had the opportunity to really travel across the country in so many diverse regions and to continue to hear the same story that really needed to be shared. So I got busy writing it and I thought, well, what better way to tell the story than the people that are living it? And so I interviewed staff, administrators, patients. I admit I interviewed academic researchers, policymakers, and even the regulatory agency. I, I interviewed two people that had a lot of experience with the regulatory side because I wanted to give a very, I wanted to give a good description, not just from one perspective, but many. And so in my book, I describe the challenges in infection prevention and control prior to the pandemic, as I've discussed with the estimates of the one to 3 million infections and the, you know, 380,000 deaths. I talk about that, 
I talk about how we were starting to make change and we were starting to climb up this steep mountain when we got kind of sidelined with COVID and we weren't ready. I I discuss and and describe the early days of the pandemic within this industry and how, how the nursing homes really didn't get a fair view of what was really occurring. They were often viewed as death traps and providing horrible care, when in reality, they were providing the best care they could under the circumstances that they had. And then I describe I describe my experience with Doctors Without Borders and then just moving forward with the solutions. Where do we go from here? How can we how can we change? How can we get better? There are solutions. And and so it is my hope that the readers, whether you have a loved one in a nursing home or you're a policymaker, that that this book will touch you and and help move you to change to advocate for change. The book is available on Amazon. I'm really proud. We we just launched on April 12th and we made Amazon bestseller in three different categories within the first couple of days of launching and the feedback that we're getting is tremendous of, of how much this book is needed uh, from the industry perspective and even for the general public, like it helps the general public understand, you know, if you have a loved one in one of, in, in a care facility, it helps to equip you um, into being more involved. So it really is a book for, for everyone to read. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. What advice would you give somebody if they either have someone in the facility or they're thinking of having to send them there to make them feel confident or, you know, just kind of help them out and put their mind at ease? Yeah, it's a very challenging situation. You know, in the book, I describe my experience with my grandparents. When I was very young, they both had to go into a nursing home and I was only 19 and I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just, I just did whatever they told me to do. We didn't have the five-star ratings or the, you know, different uh, information that we do now. I did, I didn't know about a patient advocate or a patient family council meeting that the family can join. And so in the last chapter of the book, I, I give a, I describe from a patient perspective and, and a mom's perspective of caring for her son for over 20 years in a nursing home and describe really what an individual can do. My message to the public is if you don't have a loved one in long-term care now, the chances are in the future you will. The, the baby boomer generation is, is definitely heading, you know, in the, in that stage and our, our homes are, are the populations are growing. And my, 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 um, my action plan for you is to get involved, to ask questions, to meet, meet with the, the staff, ask the staff, you know, how, how happy they are and, and, and just really understand the facility of where your loved one is going and get involved. You know, sometimes we think we don't know what to do or, or we think if we have to get involved, it's going to take up all this time, but it doesn't have to. I mean, your involvement could be as small as going and visiting your loved one and, and maybe finding out if there's something that you can bring to the facility, such as baby dolls or 
extra extra items maybe for residents that can help the staff, or um, you can get as involved as being very active in the patient family council, which meets on a regular basis and discusses the, the issues and what's going on in the facility. Just really understanding your rights, but also partnering with the facility and knowing that they're there to support your loved one, they're there to support you, and they care about you, and they want to help to deliver the best care possible to your loved one. What policy form reforms do you feel that, that can be enacted to change the nursing home industry for the better? Well, this is a really unique time. Actually, before my book was launched, the during the State of the Union address, President Biden had announced that they this administration was interested in nursing home reform. And so my book really couldn't have launched at a, a better time because I'm advocating to use this, this dark time that we've been in and use it for good, use it to bring light, use it to bring healing. And there are several things that that the administration is is asking for, such as increased patient to staff ratio, which I 100% agree. You know how how good you know how good is the care if we have a nurse that maybe has 20 patients? You know that nurse is pretty much set up to fail because they can't really deliver the best quality of care. And so there's there's uh, definitely that to be looked at to increase the number of staff that we have per patients and and just to make that a policy across the board, Um, improving education, improving the opportunities for advancing infection control practices. Right now, as I had mentioned in 2019, just months before the pandemic, every nursing home is required to have a part-time infection preventionist on site. Well, unfortunately, right now, we are in a, in a very large staffing shortage, as many industries are across the country. Healthcare in particular is suffering because our staff are so burned out. And so unfortunately, sometimes that dedicated person for infection prevention actually has to work the floor and they don't actually get the time. And so really ensuring that we have the training and the education for that infection preventionist to do their job. Those are a couple of of areas. And one of the things that I am really making a statement about is that there is a call to Congress. There was a call to for $500 million to for more surveys and more, more, more of that regulatory process. And I I talk about this explicitly in my book. I, I have three chapters pretty much about this and how it's turned into this kind of a gotcha gotcha mentality. It's, it's really not there servicing the facility. When you have a big budget of money to spend, you want to show your stakeholder that you're spending it the right way. And for the regular, for regulated regulatory agency, that means handing out citations. And so sometimes citations are handing out, handed out when they're very nitpicky and not necessary. So my my call for policy is is let's not only we need regulatory absolutely but let's use that funding as well to support to have boots on the ground support to have more of the collaborative you know working together 
instead of just the system against each other. We already have the infrastructure in place. We have private industry. We have the quality improvement organizations through CMS that offer this collaborative support. And so we just need to make that a priority instead of constantly believing that, oh, we're just going to punish them more and that's going to make them do what's right because it just doesn't work. We, it just, I mean, what I've seen um, with industry has seen it, it just isn't working. Do you have any current or upcoming projects other than that call that you're working on that people need to know about? Well, right now I am still, as I said, I'm, I'm working on site in facilities. I do about, well, my staff and I, we do about anywhere from 20 to 30 site visits every month. And to me, it's, it's, it's just so important to continue to, you know, identify what the challenges are, like with a coaching perspective. So for me, when I go in or my staff go in, we, we, we let them know right away, we're not surveyors. We're here to coach you and help you. And, and that way, trust can be built and we can really see what the problems are. And, and the facility can become very transparent. And then we can start working on those problems. Unfortunately, a lot of the funding that we're, we're provided only covers one visit. And so how, there's not as much, like we can do good in one visit, but I imagine that we would do so much, we could do so much more with more visits because some facilities, some nursing homes really need a lot of support. Others, not so much. And so just having more funding to be able to actually work on site with the facilities, teaching and coaching and training, um, is just really important. And we've written two white papers on, on this and, and some of our own data and shown actually how beneficial this is to the facilities. And so I definitely, we're working on that. We advocate for that, just more, more having that on-site support. So that listeners can stay in touch with what you and your organization is up with, throw out the website and give out any social media links that you might have so people can stay connected with you. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, we're, our website is ipcwell.com and we're on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn at ipcwell. We would love to hear from you and have you even join us in, 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 you know, reaching out to your legislative body, your congressmen, your representatives. I will be heading to D.C. in June for a congressional briefing and um, for nursing homes. And I'm looking forward to that and just learning how I can continue to advocate for this, this work. And, but it, you know, it, it takes a lot of us. It takes it takes a good army. So uh, any, any support that the listeners want to, to contribute, we definitely appreciate that. And we'd love for you to get a copy of the book. And in the book, there's resources as well that the consumer can utilize um, that can help them and, you know, making some of those decisions, like I said, for their loved one, and also for advocating for change. Well, Dr. Buffy closes out with some thoughts, maybe something that you wanted to discuss that I failed to touch on or just any final thoughts that you have. Well, I really want, and thank you so much again for having me and for this opportunity to use this platform to speak out. And I really want to highlight, highlight our long-term, long-term care workers, the, from the administrators, the CEOs, the nurses, the, the nursing assistants, the 
occupational therapists, our housekeepers, our laundry staff, our food service workers, these dedicated workers show up every day. They, they have a really hard job. I mean, this is, you have to imagine this is a population that, you know, we can't care for our, in our, in our own home. And so the work is, is it's very challenging, but in my opinion, there's no, no better, nor no more rewarding work than this. I mean, to, to, to be with our loved ones, to be with our elders at the end of their days or those that are disabled. I mean, to me, this is, this is the most important work for me. And, and I know that many of those that work in long-term care definitely can, can feel the same way. And so I, I want us as a community to rally around these, these workers and, and I just rally around them and thank them personally for showing up every day, despite the challenges, despite not having what they need, they still show up for our loved ones to care for them and, and provide, provide the support that is so needed. So I just thank them for, for that work. Ladies and gentlemen, please support Dr. Buffy's work. She's definitely a credible expert and she's fighting the good fight and fighting hard. You never know if you yourself or any loved ones will be in a long-term facility or a nursing home and maybe something that Dr. Buffy has done can help them out. Please be sure to follow, rate, review, and share this episode to as many people as possible after listening. And Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your passion on this topic, Dr. Buffy. Thank you so much again for having me. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.